0: Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Micton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education.
1: And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Acer for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now, on to the episode.
0: Hello, this is John Micton and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My colleague and host Dan is right now in transition. He was in Dubai for a couple months and now he's heading back to Prague and he'll join us with the next podcast. But uh, no more about me, but more about our guest, Craig Kemp, who many of you know, who is a digital leader, an influencer and also a mentor and coach to many schools and educators around the world and has launched EduSpark and Craig has done a lot of work in different spaces and I feel such a privilege to be here today talking to him and we're going to kind of talk about his journey uh as an educator as a parent and navigating and juggling all these different things during the pandemic no less so Craig over to you welcome so nice
1: to have you absolutely John yeah thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here you know it's uh it seems like just yesterday, you know, learning to and, you know, everything else that's been going on. And I feel like we've been connected for so many years now, yet we've never met face to face. And I, I find myself saying that all the time to everyone I connect with, you know, being connected with so many people online. And, and you'll know this, the power of being able to connect and collaborate face to face. You feel like you've known people for for. Eva. <laughs> yeah, so it's great. no and,
0: and it's so true and how how you build relationships that are very meaningful and you have an emotional connection. Yeah, I would say a big percentage of my uh PLN or people that I've never met. And then when you do meet, then it's the champagne and or the <laughs> holy water whatever you like, but it's exactly. it's very rich. Craig, maybe for members of our audience that don't know you, maybe just spend a couple minutes framing who you are and kind of the work you've done. And then let's dig into some of the bigger questions about Spark professional development and you being an entrepreneur and a digital leader.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, John. So um, for those of you that that I've never connected with before, um, thanks for tuning in and listening, I guess. First and foremost, you'll notice that my accent is very thick. uh, And that thick accent is a Kiwi accent. Uh, I hail from New Zealand, um, one of the, the the things about me that I'm pretty proud of is is where I'm from and my upbringing and my family and you know I even though I've been now living in Singapore for ten years uh, as an international educator um, and now a, a business owner I guess and in a way of, of being able to to share education to the world in many ways it's uh, you know my upbringing is I'm a primary trained teacher uh, I worked in education my whole life I, I went from high school into straight into teacher training college, um, you know, in between coaching kids and in sports and development, and then taught in New Zealand for seven years in the public school system, um, developed into to being a, a deputy principal uh, in a small public school in the bottom of the South Island in a little city called Dunedin, uh, and then moved from probably one of the coldest parts of New Zealand to uh, right in the middle of the world, to Singapore, uh, where you know, our coldest day is 26 degrees Celsius. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. And we, uh, my wife and I, we, we moved to Singapore without kids and thought we'd be here for a couple of years. We'd do the international thing. Uh, and then we'd head home and we'd build our little white picket fence and have a family and, and live happily ever after. And then we realized what we were missing out on by doing that. And we've, we've stayed here now for coming up 10 years and, and so, so pleased that we did. You know, this is a fantastic place to be. And now, Craig, you started
0: at an international school uh, working. Tell us a bit about uh, what was your role and when you came to Singapore and what happened during that tenure?
1: Yeah, so I guess that the transition from being a public school teacher and leader and moving over here and really not knowing what to expect and what to do and delving into the world of international teaching, having no idea what contract I should have been on and what I should have been getting paid. And, you know, what was the living conditions going to be like through ourselves in the deep end. Um, And, you know, I've learned a lot now about probably what I should have done beforehand and what, what things I should have been looking for. But, you know, I came over to teach in a small Australian curriculum school. Um, we, We built out a middle school, uh, we built out a, a large tech program from a school that did nothing to a school that was um, doing some pretty cool things, a small Australian curriculum school. And I was in that role for four years uh, and saw a lot of growth and development in that. And then I, I was lucky enough to get the role of um, being the, the head of EdTech and innovation at a large American international school here in Singapore called Stamford American, uh, part of the Cognita Schools group. Uh, and I was in that role for four years, and it was a, a really exciting place to be, an exciting time to be in a, in a private international school that had, was well-funded, that had lots of time and energy to be put into uh, technology and innovation, uh, that was open to change. Uh, and we did a lot, and we tried a lot, and we, we built a lot of systems and processes, that some that worked and some that failed. Um, but the journey... Was uh, really what inspired me to to get to where I am today, working with schools all over the world. And I think without that opportunity, uh, I'd probably still be in little old New Zealand um, doing my thing. And and maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing. But you know, <laughs> I just I think that sometimes the, the opportunities that I've been been presented with are because of that leap of faith that we took in in moving internationally.
0: And obviously, so you had this uh, pathway of being an educator in a public school setting and then came to and worked in two international schools. But something must have happened that suddenly you said, you know what, I'm going to go off on my own. I know I have two little kids and a partner and all those other things. But what was it that maybe in your experience in both of those international school contexts and the public school? that kind of got you starting to think about wanting to reframe your professional pathway?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good question and it's not something that I've spent a lot of time going back and thinking about, but you know, preparing for today and thinking about having a conversation with you, I really delve back into that mindset of, you know, when I was a teacher in a classroom, the one thing I never wanted to do was become a consultant. And, you know, it's funny thinking back at that now, because I, I despised that role. You know, I, my mindset, like many teachers that I come across now is, you know, you're a consultant, you're removed from the classroom. You know, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you don't know our daily grind. You don't know what we're doing. And what I learned very quickly is as a consultant, I had two choices and those two choices were to be a consultant that uh is ingrained in the daily life of a teacher and an educator and a student and a parent or someone that stood back um you know took life easy and and lived the way that that i taught many many years ago and i didn't want to be that second person so the the vision of becoming a consultant was something that i never thought i'd do but the opportunities that presented itself once we started building some strategies and processes in our school that was successful we started speaking. I uh, had an amazing team of people around, um, and we were successful. and And from that came the opportunity where school said, "Hey, we'd love for you to come and, and help us with with what you've done with processes and tech integration plans and strategies and professional learning and development." And I think that opportunity, um, you know, and you, you alluded to this as well, John. The the ability for me to be a little bit more flexible. And having a better work-life balance i think was the thing that really attracted me to it you know i could build a business where i could impact many more people than within the silo of my school and really support people and, and get them on the road of, of growing and developing and i can drop my daughter at school and i can pick her up at the end of the day because i own my own schedule and as a teacher that's something i was never able to do you know i was at school well before she needed to be at school and then i left well after she left so you know i never had that chance and one of the the greatest things that i ever did was that first day when i got to you know drop her off at school on day 1 uh, after finishing in a school and to me that's really special you know and that wins every time and i think the whole idea of being a parent and having a family and really, still staying within education, you know, as a consultant for the last two and a half years, I feel more connected to schools than I ever was inside a school, and that's not a negative thing towards any school that I worked in because every school I worked in, I think, was fantastic. Uh, and my daughters still go to Stanford now, and you know, th- we love it. We love the school. We love the environment. And you know, as a as a parent and a teacher and a leader. Uh, I want my schools, my, my kids are ingrained in that sort of school culture, um, but the ability now to chat with with people all over the world is just, it's, it's too good to, to miss out on those opportunities.
0: Yeah, and that's really, you know, I think sometimes people uh, misunderstand the consultancy, you feel like, oh, you'll be working day and night nonstop, but the thing that you really amplified is this idea that you're in control of your own schedule, so if you have to work from midnight to 4 a.m., that's fine, that's your choice. One of the things that you said was that, uh, you know, being in the school, you felt like you were a bit in a silo because, of course, you're completely immersed in that school culture. And as a tech director, you're constantly supporting multiple different workflows and stakeholders. But then you also mentioned how teachers often looked at consultants with a bit of cynicism. But now you are a consultant and you're realizing that actually maybe you're even better connected than before what are what what brought you around to that realization or what were some of the things that you were seeing and living that suddenly said hey I get this much deeper than when I was immersed in my silo not in a negative way this the busyness of being completely working in one school
1: yeah I think uh, one of the things that that happened was A realization, actually, in a professional learning opportunity I was in, in a a middle leaders conversation, and and one of the things we talked about in that conversation was, and this is while I was still at the school, was stepping onto the balcony and, and getting a balcony view of your role and your position in your school and what you're doing and the impact of that you know, that stepping back and looking from the balcony at the party below, you know, what you're doing and and how you're doing things and saying, hey, what can we do to fix or change this? Looking at it from the outside in. And then every conversation I had with a consultant or a speaker or a a professional learning expert that we brought in, uh, it always came down to, you know, what you're saying is amazing. And I've been saying that for two years, but what we need sometimes is that external person coming in to raise things because i think we get so ingrained in the work that we do every day you know this is the way we've always done things and having an expert or an external voice in that position helps move and drive things forward and for me i want to be that driver I didn't want to be that passenger. You know, I wanted to be able to help schools drive and create momentum and create sustainable practices. I didn't necessarily, I felt that I that time had passed when I needed to be that person in a school doing that now. You know, I wanted to see other people, you know, in that position and in that role, driving that forward. And I think, you know, thinking back now and thinking back to my early days of teaching, I loved working in schools where Every year we were forced to go into a different year level or a different grade, even though it was outside our comfort zone. I think we should all be pushed into those different things that push our boundaries because it really helps us see what's happening in other people's shoes. So, you know, talked around it a little bit, but the whole concept of moving from a school to a consultancy was really based on that passion to try and help people do more and be better at what they could do. And it's so interesting how you mentioned that, you know, the
0: people are more comfortable listening to the consultant's advice than often what's in there. And many years ago, when I first ever presented at a tech conference in Seattle, I met this gentleman called Jamie McKenzie, who, uh, FN.org. And for many years was a prominent writer and has a newsletter that he still has. And he met me and I was like, wow, there are a lot of people in this room listening to me. And he said, there are no profits in your own backyard. And that has really <laughs> uh, stuck with me. So here you are, you, you come to this realization and you really want to empower larger audiences with the skill set that you have and your experiences. And so you're starting to do, I assume, consultancy with schools as an individual, as Craig Kent. But then suddenly uh, you start thinking, obviously, differently because you come up with EduSpark, which we can talk about, but maybe talk a bit about that transition. So you're consulting and correct me if I'm wrong, you're maybe individual schools or school groups are asking you to speak at conferences and workshops, maybe some uh, IT conferences or education conferences. And now you're, you're in this kind of Uh, workflow, but suddenly you're thinking, wow, maybe I could take it further. And of course, you developed EduSpark that will speak in greater detail. Talked about that next phase, because obviously you're always in a learning mode and you're always growing and challenging yourself, which I find so fascinating that you're always making yourself go into maybe areas that are more uncomfortable, but engaging with them. Why did you then transition to another phase of this consultancy?
1: yeah it's a really good question and you know again it's nice to have this conversation because it makes me really step outside and and live and breathe my why as well because it's it's something i talk about all the time you know simon sinek says people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it and yes. it's something that's always stuck with me in the work that i've done that if we can't justify why we do something why do we do it at all and you know, the, the work that I did, I left the school two and a half years ago, I, I had a whole bunch of speaking events, workshops, uh, then I started doing a lot of strategy work, working with schools on, on a longer term scale, building out strat- strategic plans with how to integrate technology. Then we started doing a lot of stuff with schools on rolling out systems and processes and, um, you know, looking at governance and and pieces around the, the tech integration on a larger scale. And, You know, with that, a lot of the work came back to delivering professional learning. And, you know, I love professional learning and I love engaging in learning. And that's why I love Twitter and engaging in that space. And and that's probably where I've done my best learning. And I've engaged with some of the best people all around the world. That's how, how we've met. And, you know, the whole idea and concept of connecting and engaging to me, the only reason I went to a conference was to connect with people know I went there to connect with people that's the best part about that conference scene and that's what I love the most and you know, I actually did all my learning myself I found it online I connected with people I asked questions and I learned in that space and what I really quickly I, I guess well, probably not quickly I learned over time was as a learner uh, I was frustrated I was frustrated in the quality of the learning that was being handed to me as a teacher I was frustrated at the the lack of uh, foresight into to what I could do, the time that I had to do it. Uh, and then I, I was into this phase of leading learning and working with schools and conferences and events. and I realized that you know this this whole idea of being a consultant that that I was right all along, you know some consultants you know are really in it for the money and you know I you know we're in education and you know we all know that you know we're not in education for money, but unfortunately, that's how you know my visioning of what a consultant was that's honestly what i thought it could be and, and very quickly i learned that schools had a lot of money to spend in the space and you know as a consultant you could take advantage of that if you chose to and i never chose to because you know i think that's actually the polar opposite of the effect and impact that consultants could and should have in schools and events and in fact you know i i do a lot now pro bono, because I I like giving back and I I just like talking, you know, the exact reason why I started my own podcast is I like to talk and I like to share. Uh, And the reason why I stopped blogging was because I don't particularly like writing. I like talking uh, and I like sharing in that way. And, you know, the, the, the whole idea of this transition phase into what EduSpark could be was that the realization that, you know, I could build something with a bunch of amazing people if I listen to what everyone else wants and needs, we can collectively build something that changes the professional learning landscape forever, that actually works on that element of transformation, not just do a course, get a certificate, walk away, forget about it, you know, or bring someone into my school, pay them $3,000. And then next day I'm writing reports and I'm going to forget about what they've delivered to me because I don't have time to do anything. But if we can collectively build this concept of changing the way professional learning looks in our schools, you know, that's not something that people are doing. That's not something that that we, we're doing. So we started building that concept and idea, and and I guess you know only ten months ago now, um, EduSpark Idea was born. So it's all very new, you know, it really is.
0: And so when you start coming to this realization, as you describe. Talk to us about, about the, the, you know, you didn't do this alone. And, and we know that, you know, with any startup, the first thing is never do it alone. Uh, so you obviously had some connections, some people that inspired you. How is it a cooperative? Is it a collective? What were some of the, you know, people dynamics that you engaged with to start uh, building this uh, service?
1: Yeah. So, The first realization I think any educator makes when they have an idea and this sort of thing is that we have very little idea about business. You know, for me anyway, I had no idea and I still don't. You know, I don't know what selling is. I don't know what, you know, the business side of things are, the financial pieces. So very quickly you learn that, you know, you're only as successful as the people around you. So, you know, the whole idea for me, (coughs) how can I build the dream team of people that actually have the same vision and passion as I do for this and drive it forward. So, you know, my first connection in point of call was a really good friend of mine, Andrew Mowat uh, who worked within the Cognita schools group and professional learning and metacognition and learning design. And I brainstormed ideas with him. And then, you know, I I had this amazing partnership with a company in the Maldives uh, who were a set of developers doing incredible things and, uh, I knew that they knew education really well. So the thing for me was this cannot be a business. it has to be from the grassroots up it has to be education and learning focus. so it has to be driven by teachers and leaders for teachers and leaders. It can't be like many companies a business-minded setup, That bring educators in at a later date to support them. You know, like most of the people that you and I talk to, John, in our roles, you know, when when we get pitched at, it's a it's a business first, it's it's a it's a supporting learning second. And we wanted to be the reverse of that. You know, we wanted to do something that was quite different and that didn't really exist in this international landscape. So then we brought on board these developers, pitched the idea. This is what I wanted to do. This is what I'm thinking. And, you know, the greatest news I ever had was when I pitched to them and I said, this is my concept. This is what I think can work. And I said, do you think that we can do it? Uh, and I remember it exactly. He turned to me and he goes, you know, we can do anything. You know, we're starting from scratch. We can literally do whatever you want to do. There's no preconceived idea. There's no, you know, we're not building on an additional system we built everything from scratch, and we did it in in seven months. You know, we built from scratch in seven months, and then we brought on board instructional designers, um, three instructional designers based in the U.S., based here in Asia, and Australia, um, and in the U.K. Uh, we started connecti- connecting and reaching out to people because, you know, one of the things I know is that any professional learning shouldn't come from, you know, one person. It shouldn't come from a central location it should be crowdsourced you know and that's the beauty of twitter and that's what i learned very quickly on twitter is that the beauty of my professional learning network is the diversity of that network that they come from every corner of the world every different type of school system different age groups you know race gender you you name it you know everything that that i believe in was in that space so that's what we did and you know we, we became a marketplace and a marketplace where we amplify the voices of incredible people. We curate learning and we provide opportunities. And then the flip side of that is we wanted to be, you know, uh, I struggle saying the word company because it's not, I don't see it as a company, but it is, is that we want to be the best listeners in the education game. You know, we want to listen and we want to do, and we never, wanted to take on an investment. Now, you know, we don't want people paying in and buying into a company because that's not what we are. So So that's
0: interesting that you say that because I think as people listen, you know, a lot of educators have unbelievable, amazing ideas. And and I think what was really interesting, you were very humble here and saying, guess what? I know nothing about business and finance, but I reached out to my PLN. Uh, You mentioned Alan and then some other people that you got in this group in the Maldives. Did you just say, okay, I'm putting my savings into this? You know, if I'm I'm a teacher, and I've got this amazing idea, and now I'm leveraging my PLN through Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever medium people use, talk a bit about the money, because I think that's often the pinch point for people. They're like, well, where am I do I go to an investor or not? And maybe just share whatever you're comfortable how that
1: looked. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'll tell you everything, John, I'm probably one of the most transparent people out there. And I, um, you know, sometimes that's a downfall as well. And and that's probably what's not going to make me a very good businessman. But (laughs) the whole concept for me is that, you know, I wanted to do this. We wanted to do it on our own. You know, I didn't want a business coming in. I didn't want a business person coming in. I didn't want a company or an investor to rule what we did. We wanted it to be grassroots. So it had to come from, from my pocket and you know luckily i have a very supportive wife and and someone that that supports everything i do and she could see my passion for this so the investment came from me and me alone and i didn't want it to come from anyone else because you know i wanted that that onus to be on me you know i wanted no one to have to fall back on the sword you know the only person uh would be me and then you know very luckily with with our development partner um, came on board to support us with the development of the product as well in the sense of time and man hours and building this out. Uh, but it's not cheap. And one of the things I learn, I think, is that in any company, as a teacher, you know, if you have an idea, you know, be very careful about who you share that idea with, because there'll be a lot of greedy people out there that'll say to you, you know, I'll take your idea and I'll make you into a millionaire. Or I'll make your idea into something that goes viral and at the end of the day, all that they're thinking about is money in their own pockets, and I think you know, that, that's something that is really important. And there are a lot of avenues now. You know, ed tech is a hot industry. There are a lot of people that want to buy in, and, and I get emails and calls every week of people that that see our concept and idea and want to buy in. And I'm very polite and saying, you know, we're good. You know, we don't need anything right now uh, because we're happy at where we are. So I think as a know, the idea that you're sharing here is that as a teacher, you know, what do you do? And actually one of the big ideas of of a branch out of EduSpark is how can we support organically teachers in the growth and development of their ideas with potential seed funding um, that doesn't require you to give away equity in your idea? You know, that's one of the, the worst things is that early stage companies love coming in and giving you money because they can take a large chunk of your business. um, And they know that they're in it for the long haul. So you know, I want to be able to build that concept or idea where actually, if you're smart about what you do, and the ideas that you have, you can do this on your own. Uh, And you know, if you are listening to this, and you have an idea or a concept, I would welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with you and to dive deeper into, to my story and, and this journey, even though we're very early stage and to give you some specific advice and, and avenues to of people to talk to as well. That's fantastic because I
0: think so often that whole, uh, that whole space is very complex and nuanced and I, and you, you know, you keep hearing, you know, the ed tech startup and then they sell it for billions and there's <laughs> all this kind of, you know, Goldilocks, uh, cinderella syndrome with so many of these uh startups what's really nice to hear is that obviously you have a very deep commitment to your philosophy and the why which you brought up is you know your idea why you're doing that and that has transcended maybe some opportunities for finance because you that's that's what you're selling is this idea of the integrity the, the really belief this is about education and we're not here to make a quick buck. So I think that often is the challenge. How do you stick to that with all the pressures coming around? Let's just transition. So EduSpark, uh, talk about EduSpark just for a few minutes, explain. So if I've never been to EduSpark, what happens? How do I engage?
1: Yeah, so think of EduSpark as a a professional learning platform, a place where your teachers and your your school can come to do all of your learning, your development and your growth. You know, we have only been live a couple of months, so it's all very fresh and very new. But within this space at EduSpark.world is we're developing a momentum, a, a movement, a world where learning will be different. You know, We're partnered with some of the most amazing educators from all over the world. You know, big names, but also people in a school doing incredible things that need a, a platform to amplify their voice across multiple domains. So when you come in, uh, you can learn from the best, uh, and you can learn from teachers next door. But it's curated and it's moderated. It's not a space where you're going to go in and see tens of thousands of things that overwhelm you. You know, we've started small. We've got 60 courses uh, that are curated by us, uh, by our team of instructional designers that come from creators from more than 20 countries around the world uh, that are in the domains of more than 15 areas from ed tech and innovation, well-being, literacy, numeracy, social emotional learning, DEIJ, you know, the list goes on. And, what we're noticing is that, that that's fantastic access at an affordable price point to, to get high quality learning. But what's even better, and as we listen to schools, and I alluded to this earlier on, you know, as we listened in the very early stages, we learned that, you know, that's a great asset to a school, but what's even better is the ability for that school to personalize their own learning journey. So we now allow schools to create their own courses in here, to create private channels, to build communities of practice. So it's not just all of this rich, amazing learning external, a marketplace of some of the best learning from all over the world, but it's also schools can build their own courses, their own opportunities. You know, by the time this podcast goes live, we'll have live video functionality incorporated into the system. Not a Zoom, not a Google Meet, but a system that is integrated into the learning experience because we know from our research and, and you know, the the andragogy of, of adult learning that we need that to be in a space that's easy to access uh, and easy to get feedback from very, very quickly. So in a nutshell, that's that's where we're going and what we're doing. So I'm an international school. I'm a head of professional development,
0: a curriculum director, and I would like to do something, let's say understanding by design. So potentially I could reach out to EduSpark and you have the tools and the platform, and then together with coaching through your instructional designers, we could create our own indigenous uh, program of learning specific to our faculty, but we have the advantage that you have the platform
1: and the expertise to make sure it's meaningful and impactful. Absolutely. And, you know, not only that, you can choose to keep it private to you and the school, the IP remains the ownership of the school or the creator. You know, we, are we, we don't take on any ownership of content from anyone we work with, you know, as a creator myself, that's a priority, you know, and something really flipping the opposite of a publisher's model. You know, we don't want to own your stuff because it's yours you 've put the hard work into that, so as a school, you can get the benefit of everyone else, but you can also build your own stuff, new teacher onboarding courses, safeguarding well being tech programs, literacy programs, you name it, you can do it you know the, the world's your oyster within here, and the data insights that go with that
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, and the data insights are so critical, so as you 've been in this journey, you know the pandemic is going on, and I think we all know that in the, at tech space, there's been a bit of a silver lining in the sense that many teachers had to amplify their skill sets. We've moved to three way conferences that are online. There's just a proliferate of things that everybody has engaged with. What are you noticing now that we're well we think we're coming out of it? I don't know. That's still the question mark that we're all asking but definitely we are much more nimble and much more comfortable, uh, much maybe to our demise in this environment. What are you noticing about schools and professional development? Because no doubt previously, there were the big ed tech conferences, there were the regional ERCOS, CISA, ECIS conferences, and then there were consultants flying around. And obviously the pandemic really brought uh, some limitations what are you noticing from your experience? And as you said, you're a listening organization, so you're always listening to people. What might it look like here down the road, here in 18 months?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, it's uh the COVID presented many opportunities, but also many threats, I think, to the to particularly to people that had that mindset of this is the way I've always forced to change, you know, and change is good. And we all know that. But change is also uncomfortable. And that's for educators. That's really hard. Change is hard because we get so ingrained in that day to day, you know, growth and development, particularly with professional learning. And unfortunately, that led to the beginning stages of COVID with this whole virtual professional learning space. It led to some pretty substandard offerings and, you know, that's really what began the journey for us. And, you know, we we can and we should do better, you know, and we should be focusing on quality rather than quantity. You know, we don't want every person offering us free stuff. We want high quality, high impact, high transformation. High transformation. 12 to 18 months, I see it as a real hybrid. You know, you mentioned the idea of, you know, w- will 2022 see us um, being back face to face the way that we were in 2019? Uh, I think no, actually, you know, particularly here in Asia, with the conversations I've been having with schools um, all over the world, is that, you know, it's there's just too much uncertainty, you know, there are a lot of schools that flew a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of schools that flew a lot of people in that sent people off to conferences. I think we're going to see a really different space. I think what we've learned from this is that online learning is tough, but for the most part, it does support us in what we need to do. So I think we're going to see a real hybrid approach. So we're going to see the whole concept of our conference, that ability to connect with people, because you know, every conference I've gone to, I've gone to it to connect with people not to necessarily learn and grow. That's great added advantage, but it's to connect with people and that face-to-face piece is important, but imagine if we can do that face-to-face piece, but still do some learning with people all over the world that couldn't be there. And then those communities of practice that we're building within that also mean that we can continue to be sustainable. Uh, and then what if that built into a space where we have a curated space, Uh, that allows us to build an evidence-based portfolio where we can show the transformation of our learning you know a seesaw for teachers that allows us to connect and engage and share and be careful somebody's
0: going to pick up on that idea craig seesaw for (laughs) teachers (laughs) maybe
1: maybe that's just something you're going to see by the time this goes live in EduSpark. maybe that's a little bit of a teaser that i've just given you but you know that's definitely something that i think is really important is that evidence-based practice that supports the transformation of learning, whether it's with students or as you as a professional, I think that that space is is hyper important. And I think Craig, what you're saying about the
0: evidence-based You know, evidence-based learning so we can see when we invest in professional development there's evidence that there's growth and new learning. I think we're quite good at that with uh, students and assessment and there's a lot of on assessment portfolios you know feedback feedback forward but I think so often what as administrators often feel and I might be generalizing is that often there is an investment in professional development people go and do the professional development but the trans the, the transaction back is not always clear, and the evidence might be more internalized to the person than amplified to a team or a larger audience. So I think what you're bringing up is so important is you know I think that's what maybe a lot of people are looking for is if i'm investing in this, what is my return, but how do I see the return
1: yeah it's a, a great call out you know and it makes me think of. Every experience I had, if a school's paying for me to go to a conference, nine times out of 10, my one actionable, you know, call to action was come back and share what you learn in a session or write it on a bit of paper and present it back, you know, and that was it. And that was all i had to do and you know did it did it add value to me as a learner most of the time because i was pretty driven to make sure it did but you know there were no systems no things in place that supported that and i think it it calls out something that in many of our schools that's broken in many ways which is you know traditional appraisal systems how and why are we judging our teachers on what they're doing you know and and that's where What we're doing with EduSpark and partnering with schools, and we're already doing this, which is exciting, you know, with a couple of schools in Vietnam, is how do we build appraisal systems into this learning process that's actually ingrained in transformation, not ticking box exercises? You know, you're a great teacher. I've come in and I've watched you once in a year. Here you go, you've passed the test. You know, that doesn't help me as a teacher grow. It doesn't show any change in the learning that my students have done. So how can we integrate that and build something that is more than a course, more than a piece of learning? And that's where we're trying to head. And I
0: definitely, obviously you're listening to a lot of people and that definitely is resonating. And I think there is a general feeling that that evidence-based assessment and you know value added is so critical. Now, in this journey that you've had, which has, you know, really been very rich and full of, I'm sure, ups and downs, how are you managing that yourself? How, you know, well-being has become so much part of so many narratives. And there's and you actually offer a well-being course. And uh, I think it was about being happy. Uh, and talk about, you know when you are in the space that you are how do you juggle that what are some things that you know if teachers are looking to teach and start something and you know have multiple different uh projects what are some things that you've learned from your own experience
1: yeah it's uh life certainly has become a bit of a juggling act you know even as a teacher in a classroom you know, it's you have multiple things going on and then you go home to your own family or, you know, special people in your life and you need to justify the time and energy you spend on different things. And I think the one thing, the most important thing I've learned is that the most important person is yourself. And, you know, that's something as a teacher, I never did, you know, for 15 years, I never put myself and my well-being first. I never thought about myself because I always felt my job was to make sure that my kids had the best opportunity to, to exceed and excel and and be well. And, you know, if you don't look after yourself, you can't be a good person for anyone else. So the whole idea of looking after yourself, taking time out, you know, explicitly saying no to opportunities sometimes. And, you know, when an opportunity presents itself, it might seem like the perfect thing to do, but, Sometimes the best thing to do is to say no. So you know, I was pretty bad at the first stages of being becoming a consultant. You know, I became a yes man. I said yes to everything, and that <laughs> helped business, but it didn't help well being. And you know, I've got. And so you much- think
0: you said yes to everything, Craig, because you felt the pressure you needed to generate an income, so you were just like, "I need to say yes to everything."
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Create a name. Create a business. You know, bring some income in. Definitely. And you know you very quickly learn that you know you, you're as good as your last job you know the the people that you engage with and education is word of mouth you know it's not what you know it's who you know and it's all about being connected and doing a good job and you know if you can deliver on that you're going to have no shortage of supporting people people are going to come knocking at your door and you know it, it's something i think you have to be in to understand and to fully you know, translate that transition from being a teacher with my kids and the people around me, or being a leader in that space, and then suddenly being in your own world. Um, you know, I talked about it earlier on. The best thing that that gives me joy and energy is, and at the, our dinner table every night with our kids, seven and three, the the one thing we always say is, you know, what was the favorite part of your day? You know, what was your peak and your pit of the day? What did you love and what what didn't go so well? And you know. You know, my favorite part of the day was being on a bus and just looking out the window and not thinking or looking at my calendar or looking at my notifications. You know, and it's, it, when you sit back and you look at that balcony level view of everything, even in your personal life, I think you very quickly realize that, you know, you can do as much as you want, but more doesn't mean better. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's about quality rather than quantity. And
0: what's really interesting that you said was you said, I needed to be more selfish. I needed to take more care. I needed to be more selfish. I needed to take more care of myself. And I think very likely in the past, maybe less now, people would have seen that. Well, that's very selfish of you. I have a a colleague administrator. When we started the pandemic, she showed us an airplane seat and the oxygen mask coming down. And what do they tell you to do? You put it over your face before you put it over your child's. And I think that was a very powerful message because I think at the beginning, everybody was giving, 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 giving. And at some point people were like, I have nothing more to give because this thing is taking such a (laughs) long time. It's kind of, you don't have that, you know, the replenishment. The only way you can replenish yourself is by on yourself, so I really appreciate you saying that. And it's not out
1: of selfishness; it's out of actually care for others. Very likely, is it, Craig? Absolutely, yeah. And I think you you very quickly realize what sort of person you are and why you do what you do. You know, most people listening here are educators because they want to make a difference. You know, and you know, you, in our lives as international school teachers, we come across many people from many different walks of life and some we connect with and others we don't. And, you know, we never will again. And, you know, you, you realize, I think, a lot about yourself stepping outside of those boundaries too, and how you can help others be successful. Uh, and that's really what I love to do. and And I'm just so pleased that I got to find that. Craig, this is such a wonderful
0: conversation and I love how you wrap that up uh, with that statement about what you love to do and about teachers and just your humbleness and humility is really inspiring. Thank you very much for being with us today. And I just wanna remind people, you can find Craig on social media at Mr. MrKentness and of course at EduSpark and in the show notes, you'll see there are a lot of different links. And uh, Craig is somebody that's very generous. So if you want to reach out, I know he will be there to listen. And Craig, thank you so much. I look forward to the day where we can crack a bottle of champagne together, hopefully sooner than later. But in the meantime, thank you and all the best with your continued projects.
1: Thank you so much, John. And I really appreciate it. I'm absolutely humbled and honored to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me on.